on an airline and happy Sunday. We are so glad you guys are here worshiping with us this morning. If you'll get up on your feet and worship the Lord with us as we sing out.
morning, church. How are y'all? Welcome to Airline Baptist Church. Good to see everybody here. Looks like we're pretty much all family today. Amen. Good to see you all here. Hope y'all are, uh, are going to be blessed today, and I know you will by the singing. I know you will by the word. And it's just good to be in God's house this morning with all of you. Glad you're here. If this uh, happens to be your first time here, you haven't been here in a while, please be sure and fill out a Connect card on the pew in front of you there. Turn it back in. And after the service today, meet with our pastor. He'll be in the back at the pastor reception area. So do that. All right? Y'all here? Amen. Let me pray real quick and we'll get right back into singing, okay? God, we love you and we thank you for this wonderful day. God, look forward to worshiping you and, and, and just, God, just giving you all the praise that you're due. God, we love you. You have your will today. Everything that's done, I pray that it be to lift you up and nothing else. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.
God, thank you so much for your amazing grace. Thank you for constantly pouring it out every day. Lord, we love you so much. We're so thankful that we could lift praises to you this morning. We pray that they were a sweet offering and a sweet aroma to you. Lord, be with us as we hear your word this morning, that our ears will be open and our hearts will be receptive. Hide Pastor Zach behind the cross and allow him to speak the words that you would have him speak. Lord, we know your word will speak to us in a way that we can go out and further your kingdom. Father, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So glad to see you here. I'm excited to start this new series into the book of Haggai. Yes, that is a book in your Bible. If, if you need help finding it, it's between Zephaniah and Zechariah. So if you do a quick search through, you find the Z books, and then there's an H in the middle somewhere. Just go there. And so the book of Haggai. And so I, I know I've talked to a few people Today, um, this, is, this is my last day in my 20s. And so I turn 30 tomorrow. And I'll just be honest, I'm feeling old. I, I've noticed some stuff with old age. I've noticed things just kind of hurt when you get up in the morning for no explicable reason. I've also got this strange desire to go home at two o'clock and watch Gunsmoke on TV land. <laughs> Never had that desire before, Mike, but as I'm approaching old age, it just seems like the right thing to do. But even in my old age, there's some things that just don't make sense to me. I'm still yet to figure out the milk percentages. 
You go from whole milk to one and two and skim milk. Where are the rest of the percentages? I haven't figured it out yet. Somebody's probably going to come up to me and explain it afterwards. But there are some things I still haven't figured out quite in my old age. But there's also some things that, if I'm just being honest, church, in my old age, I've, I've, I've grown quite set on. And one of those things, I mean, just to be honest, is I've grown, not to say I didn't before, but my view of just the Scripture has grown more and more. I'm more convinced now than I ever have been of just the inerrancy, infallibility, sufficiency, preservation of Scripture. I'm more convinced today than I have ever been in my life. But not only that, church, growing into my old age, I keep saying that and Mike keeps finding it funny. I've got some gray hairs coming in. But I've become more convinced just of the beauty of the local church. I love the local church. And the local church can be messy and dysfunctional at times, but at the end of the day, the local church is the local outpost of the bride of Christ. And even in its messiness, even in at times its dysfunction, even at times when the body is not being a body, there's still beauty in it. And I love the local church. And I believe one of the things that we need in this hour as a church is to understand what it means to be a church. And you'll hear me say this until you are sick and tired of hearing me say this, but church is not a place that we go, it's a body to which we belong. Because if I treat church as a place that I simply go, then I'll treat it like any other place that I simply go. If I go to the restaurant, I don't need to know the server or the cook. They don't need to know me. All they need to know is what my order is. I don't need to know the people sitting at the table next to me. I don't need to know what they're having. I just need the food to be good and the service to be good and get my order right. Why? Because that's simply a place that I go. And if, they, if one of those three things isn't correct, I may can give it a second chance, or I may just say I'm not coming back to this place and going to a restaurant down the road. Why? Because it's just simply a place that I go. But if church is a body to which I belong, then I am known by that body. You see, it's something, as I said earlier, as you get on up in age like me, and something hurts, the rest of the body knows that it's hurting. And the rest of the body tends to that part of the body that is hurting. The body functions together. 
as a unit. And one of the most special things that we do as the body is, yes, we go out and we serve and we do all of these things, but I'm fully convinced, Mike, that one of the most important things we do as a body is we gather together for corporate worship. We gather together to lift high the name of Jesus and to break open his word together. That as a corporate body, this is one of the most important things that we do, which brings us to the book of Haggai. Haggai, I'll be honest, I've never preached through the book of Haggai. I've really never done an in-depth study of the book of Haggai. But I believe it has extreme relevance to us today. You see, in the book of Haggai, the Israelites had just returned from the exile. They've gone through Babylon, Babylon and Persia, and they've just returned. And so we, if we were to look at Ezra and Nehemiah, we would see everything that's going on as they're seeking to return to their life. But as we will see, there is something that has been neglected in their return, namely their corporate worship. They've neglected their corporate worship. And really what the book of Haggai is all about is for the people to renew their vision of what corporate worship is and its importance. So that's why we're going to dive into it for over the next few weeks. So that you and I would, just like the people of Israel in Haggai's day, we would have a renewed vision for what it means for going fast forward to New Testament times of what a New Testament church looks like in worship, particularly in corporate worship. So the book of Haggai, starting in chapter 1, verse number 1. Let's read through it, and then we'll notice a few things. So it says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? <coughs> Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in with his own house. 
Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We give you this time. God, would you speak to us today? God, help us to see, even though this was a long time ago, even though this was before Christ, you spoke a word to your people, which still rings true to us today. So would you be with us, God, as we break open your word? Would you be glorified? And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So in these first 11 verses, we really have two movements in the text. And so the first movement we see is really the people's excuse. And so going back up to verse 1, in the second year of Darius the king. And so this would have placed this somewhere in the ballpark of around 520 B.C. And so Darius was into his second year as king over Persia, and then the sixth month of the first day of the month. And so this would have been sometime late August, early September. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Now I want you to notice this phrase here, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. As God is getting ready to speak to the people, he uses Haggai to be the instrument of his proclamation. That it is God's word that is central to the people. And we fast forward to today that the same is true today. That when I or someone else gets up here to proclaim God's word, there is no authority in and of myself or whoever is proclaiming the word. The authority is in the word of God. So Haggai gets up. He has a word from the Lord. And notice it tells us who the word is to. Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. So as the people come back, they have Zerubbabel, who was the governor, who was really just kind of like a puppet political figure for the Persians. That as they came back to the land, they had Zerubbabel, who was essentially, he wasn't a king. He was just in charge of the people to be sure that even though they were going back to the land, the best interests of Persia were still in mind as they resettled there. But what I find interesting here are the names. So you have Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. And we read in 1 Chronicles, Shealtiel was one of the sons of Jehoiakim, which was one of the last few kings of Judah. And so he's part of this line and this lineage that goes all the way back to David. He's really next in line to be king. But you look at Shealtiel's name, 
It's a Hebrew name. It's a, it's a Semitic name, which just simply means I have asked God. And so Shield Hill's origins go before the exile. But you look at Zerubbabel's name, his name's a Babylonian name. He was born during the exile. Literally, his name means seed of Babylon. Can I just say this in passing? That it does not take a whole lot to lose a generation. Literally, one generation removed from Hebrew name to Babylonian name. So they come back. Zerubbabel doesn't know what worship looked like in Israel before. All he's known is Babylon. But they're coming back. So he, Haggai has a word from God, but not only to Zerubbabel, but to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, Jehozadak, the high priest. Notice who he's looking at. He's looking to the political leaders and the religious leaders of Israel, that he has a word for them. And notice what it says, thus says the Lord of hosts. I just want to pause here for just a moment. This phrase, the Lord of hosts, it's used re regularly throughout the Old Testament. That term host, just it, it, it means one of someone that, that commanded armies, that he is the Lord of armies. He is sovereign. He is king. And notice what he says. These people. Notice God does not even describe them as my people. That's how severed and strained the relationship is between God and his people. That even here, we see it regularly throughout the Old Testament. He would refer to Israel as my people. But here he says, these people say that the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Now we know from Ezra Nehemiah, that some construction began on the temple, but by the time we get to Haggai, it has been paused. And they're sitting there saying, it's not yet time to rebuild the house of the Lord. Notice, they're not saying we're not going to rebuild it. They're just saying it's not time yet. They're not saying it's not going to happen. They're just saying it's not time yet. It's like the old saying goes, procrastinators of the world unite tomorrow. They're not outright denying it. They're just saying it's not yet time. Now, they very well could have had legitimate reasons to say it's not yet time to rebuild the house of the Lord. Like, they've got to get back. They've got to get settled in. They've got to get their lives in order. They've got to do all of this stuff. They could have had rational reasons to say it's not yet time to rebuild the house of the Lord. 
Like God would understand, like I've got to go get my business affairs in order first. I've got to take care of my family first. Like those are good things, but their priorities are off. They could have said, listen, there's some, there's some issues stirring there. during this time. There's, there were some power struggles. You have a new king in Persia. Someone could have came and, and, and instituted a, a new rule and reign. So an outside force could have moved in and conquered them. Surely this is not the time to rebuild the temple. Whatever the reason was, they probably had good, rational reasons behind it to say, let's hold off on this. So this is the people's excuse. Here they are, they find themselves, they're rebuilding their lives back in Israel, back in Judah, and the house of the Lord needs rebuilt, but they've got other things they're tending to first. So this is the people's excuse. But we move from the people's excuse to God's response. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while, the, while this house lies in ruins? Is it a time for you yourself to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Notice God's not condemning them for living and dwelling in paneled houses. They were building their homes. They were doing what they thought was right. But again, their issue was priorities. Their issue was their issue was not that they were building paneled houses. Their issue was that they were building paneled houses while the house of God was in ruins. This was God's response to them. Notice it says it's in ruins. This could mean two things. I think both are applicable. I think it can mean it's literal ruins, as in there's parts falling in, there's stuff that needs taken care of, all of that, but also I think metaphorical ruins that it's not used. It's desolate. No one's gathering together at the temple for worship. And so it's in ruins. Literally and metaphorically, the temple is in ruins. So why? So God asked them this question, is it, is it a time, is it going back to this time, is it a time for you to dwell in paneled houses while the house of God lies in ruins? He says, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. 
I love this phrase, consider your ways. It's, it's a, it's a, in English, we translate it this way, but if we were to take the Hebrew, it would literally be translated to set your heart upon your ways. Because in Hebrew, your heart is your primary seat of thinking, logic, rational thoughts, all of that stuff. In Hebrew, it's not your mind, it's your heart that does the thinking. It's your heart that is what we would say your mind is. And so literally God is telling them to take your heart, your mind, and place it upon your ways. That this is not just a passing thought. That this is a deep consideration of what's going on. This is more than just five seconds of considering something or thinking of something, but rather deep involved placing my heart upon it. So he says, consider your ways. He says, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. He's going, okay, look at your lives. Examine your ways. Consider what's going on. You have these misplaced priorities. And so as you go through life with these misplaced priorities, have you noticed that everything seems to be falling through your hands? Have you noticed that nothing seems to be going right? Because you've misplaced your priorities. Now hear me this morning, this is, I'm not saying that if you get your priorities right, that health and wealth and prosperity will come to you. Not saying that at all. Sometimes you get your priorities right and life gets more difficult. Not saying that at all. But I do believe that there are some practical benefits of obedience to God. Now all of a sudden, these things aren't meaningless anymore. Because none of those things that God mentions here are bad things. They're clothing themselves. They're, they're working. They're, they're doing all of these things. But it just seems like there's no satisfaction in it, that there's no meaning in it. Why? Because their priorities are off. They've made their lives about themselves instead of the worship of the God who brought them out of exile. They've made their lives about themselves instead of the God who brought them out of Egypt. They've made their lives about themselves instead of the God who created them. How often do we do the same thing? How often do we make life about us? Where it's about me, it's about what I can do, what I can get, what I can have. 
instead of my life being about the God who paid for my sin debt. Instead of my life being about the God who adopted me and placed me into his family, instead of my life being about that God, how often do my priorities and your priorities become misaligned? Just like the people of Haggai's day. He says, you're, you're not finding anything. Or consider your ways. You're living this way and you're not finding anything out of it. Then verse 7. So then God gives what they are to do. Thus says the Lord of hosts, again, consider your ways. Lay your heart upon this. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it. And that I may be glorified, says the Lord. So flip the priorities. Instead of living life in such a way that makes life all about me and mine, I now go turn my attention to the Lord. Notice what he says, that I may take pleasure in it. God calls them to rise and to rebuild. Why? First and foremost, for his good pleasure. And not only that, that he may be glorified. You know what we do or seek to do Sunday after Sunday? What is pleasing to him and what is glorifying to him? That's it. That's it. Like what, what do I consider a good Sunday? Is it a large attendance? That's nice, but that's not it. Is it a large number of visitors here on a Sunday? That's nice, but that's not it. Is it a large offering on a Sunday? That's really nice, but that's not it. Is it a lot of people coming to the altar at the end of a message? That's nice, but that's not it. What is a good Sunday when we gather together and God is pleased with it and he is glorified with it? That's a good Sunday. No matter how good or bad the music is or how good or bad the sermon is, is God pleased and glorified with it? That should be our hope and our aim Sunday after Sunday. God, would you be pleased with it? God, would you be glorified with it? It says, rise, rebuild, so that I may, be, I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. And notice these last few verses. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land 
in the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on, on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. Notice this, that God takes his worship seriously. God takes his worship seriously. That God's saying, they're going, you have neglected my house. My house lies in ruins. You have neglected it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my hand of blessing away from it because you have neglected it. Now, an important distinction, we're, we're not living under Old Testament covenant blessings and cursings any longer. We're new covenant under grace in Jesus. So I'm not saying if you skip church a few times that your bank account is going to run dry. I'm not saying that, okay? But the point still remains, God is serious about his worship. God takes his worship seriously. And he takes it so seriously, like, like when we see passages in the Old or the New Testament, like, for example, when they're carrying the ark along and it goes to fall and they, they go to grab the ark and God strikes them dead right there, we see that and we're like aghast. Like, how could God do that? But God in his holiness takes his worship seriously. Or in the New Testament, when they begin to offer strange fire to God and he strikes them dead, God takes his worship seriously. So the question that we have to wrestle with is how seriously do we take God's worship? God shares his worship with no one and no thing. But do we spread our worship out to other people and other things? Or is our worship solely directed and devoted to the God of creation? Because he shares his worship with no one. And he takes his worship seriously. And so this brings us to our central idea this morning. It's this. The people's delay in rebuilding was a failure to recognize God's concern for their priorities and participation in worship. The people's delay in rebuilding was a failure to recognize God's concern for their priorities and participation in worship. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? So God is first and foremost concerned with their priorities in worship. What are our priorities today? What are our priorities today? Is God the supreme priority in our life? 
Is God at the center of everything? Does everything we do revolve around the worship of God? Or does everything we do revolve around the worship of something else and God kind of gets what is left over? That was the issue in Haggai's day. They were going to get to it eventually. They were eventually going to take care of it. But you see, at that time and in that moment, they just had other priorities that they had to take care of. They were eventually going to get there. What was ultimately happening? God was getting the leftovers. Because they were actually taking care of what was a priority in their life. And it just simply wasn't God. And how often in my life and in your life do we give God the leftovers? Like this, like this isn't a tithing message or anything like that. I'm just talking about life in general. We'll, we'll get around to growing close to God when you know, we get some things worked out. We'll get around to studying the word and spending time in prayer when the calendar becomes a little less hectic. Newsflash, it does not become less hectic. We'll get around to using those gifts and abilities that God has given us when we get some other stuff sorted out, just I'm really busy at work these days. I know God has gifted me and, 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 and called me to do this, but you just got to understand things are really crazy back at the office and I just can't commit to that. We're giving God the leftovers. Pastor, I, I really want to give. I really, I really want to be a sacrificial giver, but... Just things are tight right now. I'm not saying to be a bad steward or to not execute wisdom in those things. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just simply asking, is God getting what is priority or is God getting what is leftover? And God is concerned with his people's priorities. God has zero desire to sit in the second seat of your life. God has zero desire. It's like, if, if you've got one, I'm not trying to poke fun of you. I always find it interesting when people have the bumper sticker that say, Jesus is my co-pilot. He's in the wrong seat. God has no desire to be in the second seat of your life. So what are our priorities today? But not only is God's concern for his people's priorities in worship, he is concerned for his people's participation in worship. Like God's not concerned here with building an extravagant temple if no one is there. Like what would be the point for God to go, okay, y'all need to rebuild the temple but you can keep going about your life any other way you want to go. 
He's saying my house lies in ruins, literally, but also metaphorically. But why? Because no one is able to use the temple because it's in ruins. And God's desire is not only for his people's priorities, but his people's participation, that the people would gather together for the worship of God. So what, not only what, of our, what are our priorities in worship, what is our participation in worship? I'm not saying you got to lift your hands and run the aisle. I'm not saying that at all. But do you actually participate in something that God is serious about? Are we serious about our participation in the worship of the God of creation? Like this is something that that just God has been working on my heart and my life about of just how serious am I about it? Because I'll just be honest, like it is easy. Like this is just what we do on Sunday mornings. We gather together, we sing a few songs, and we, we open up the word, we hear a message, and then we go home. Like it's just easy for that just to become a rhythm of life. And we give no other thought to it. But do we actually gather together with an anxious anticipation that, oh man, we're gathering together today because we get to worship the God of creation. We get to worship the God who saw us in our sin and in spite of us still rescued us from our sin debt. We get to worship that God. That shouldn't be something that we have to poke and prod at but that we should have a tangible anticipation to worship that God. And so as the band comes back to the stage, we prepare to close. I know this is a, this is a difficult message. Because it hits us right where we're at. Just as in Haggai's day, the people are just, they were going to eventually get to it. But God goes, there comes a time when it has to stop being eventually. There comes a time when it has to go, time is now. I'm not going to wait down the road. I'm not going to wait down the road to get my priorities straightened out. But today is the day. I'm not going to wait down the road to start participating in worship. I'm not going to wait down the road to start taking serious what God is serious about. But today, 
So as we close, what are our priorities? What are my priorities? What are your priorities? Is your priority the God of creation? Or is it something else? Is your priority the worship of God and the service of God? Or is it the worship of self and service of self? And then secondly, are we participating in the worship and the service of the God of creation? It's a really simple question or simple questions, but really hard to answer. Because just as in Haggai's day, as it is in our day, it's really easy to have misplaced priorities and misplaced participation. And so as we think about the church that God is calling Airline Baptist Church to be, I believe this is the launching point. Just as it was in Haggai's day, we have to examine, we have to consider our ways. Lay your heart upon your ways. So that's the challenge this morning as we go into a time of response. What are my priorities and what is my participation? If you need to pray, Mike will be standing here. I'll be standing to the side. Or if you just want to come pray, this altar's open. But let's consider this morning those two questions. Father God, we love you. We praise you. God, would you be with us now? Help us to lay down our priorities and make you the center of all things that we do. And God, help us to participate in your body that you've placed us here. We love you. We praise you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we respond.
is amazing grace. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. <laughs> that, um, that's a tough word. I'm thankful for a pastor who loves his people enough to preach the, the truth, preach the hard stuff. Amen. Amen. That's a good word. That's a good word. We've got a lot of things going on in the month of June, of course. If you've got a bulletin, I want you to look on the, the front of it. June is, uh, June is cover to cover, but it's good stuff. And I want us to all be sure we pay attention to what's happening and let's uh, participate, let's help, let's serve, There's opportunities to serve. Of course, uh, June the 12th, what is that? June the 12th. <laughs> all right, let's start over. June the 12th. Bible school, amen, vacation Bible school, such a great time to serve, to participate, amen. A lot of you have signed up. I think we have a, a, our volunteer list is pretty well full. There's a lot of registration needs to take place, okay. Uh, invite your friends. Let's get those children registered and let's have a good crowd here that we can share the truth with them, give them the word, and let's, let's just see what the Spirit does when we, when we teach and we share God's love and the gospel with all the kids, okay? Let's do that. That is June the 12th through the 16th, 9 a.m. to 12, so tell people to come and be part of that. The uh, Sunday night before Bible school, now registration, there's something Pastor brought up. There's a challenge laid out there somewhere, okay? On the Sunday night before Bible school, on the 11th, we're going to have a, uh, a VBS celebration luau, okay? That's for guests, uh, visitors, the community just to come. We're going to have fun. Hopefully that will help us with registration. But here's the thing. If we get 100 kids registered for Bible school, either the pastor <laughs> or myself Y'all can choose which one you had rather see in a grass skirt at the luau, okay? <laughs> Y'all choose. It ain't going to be a pretty sight, I can tell you. Uh, but hey, sure enough, invite folks. Let's have a good crowd here and let's just have a, let's have a good time. Uh, those are two, two main things. There's a lot of other things going on. Um, and of course, we need to bathe Bible school in prayer. So we're going to meet here. Wednesday night, June the 7th. We won't have any services here this coming Wednesday night, okay? But on Wednesday night, June the 7th, we're going to meet and we're going to have prayer, have a light something. I don't know what we'll do, but we're going to have prayer. Family night, we'll play some, uh, do some games, some fun, ice-breaking games kind of things. But the main thing we want to do is pray for Bible school, cover it in prayer, okay? June the 7th, that Wednesday night. Uh, just again, check your bulletins and see everything that's going on, and we'll uh, we'll do that. All right. A couple more things, and I'll let you go. One, we need to do this before we go. There's a song that we've got to do, and I, I've been dying to lead it today. So, what I want you to do, I want you to sing out like I know you can. Lift your voice up, and let's just let's just raise the roof with this song. Okay? Y'all do this for me. Okay? <laughs> All right. St. Church. Happy birthday
have to take that up with Whitney, brother. <laughs> Amen. All right, listen, uh, one other thing, one other thing. Let's do this. Let's get serious here. We got, we need to pray. Kurt, can I ask you to come up? But I, I love you. I was looking at you, and I meant to ask you before we got to this point. But um, there's all kind of things we need to pray for, but there's one thing in particular I want to be sure as we dismiss today that we pray for. Okay, a lot of you know Miss Kathy, Brother Doyle's wife, uh, many, many years, and right by his side she was as he pastored and did all the things that, uh, that pastor's wives do. People just don't know. Do they do? She's in the hospital having some issues, and there's a lot of details, and he can share that with you. But the main thing is, is it doesn't appear that right now that they know exactly what's going on with Miss Kathy. But it's a serious situation. And I want this church family, if you will, Brother Kirk, dear Brother Kirk, is going to lead us in a word of prayer, particularly for Miss Kathy. And don't forget her because they're still doing some tests. They got to find out what's causing this. It's not going to get any better unless they do, and it, and it could be serious. But you know the glorious thing. I had a chance to sit with her a little bit Friday. Pastor Zach and I went by to see her. Oh, and she, I guess I'm sorry. Just lighten it up a tad. It's getting heavy. We walk in the door, and Miss Kathy looks, and she says, you know what? I said, it's amazing how little a room gets when two boys y'all size comes in here. <laughs> so she, she's, she's in great spirits, but, and she's ready. She's ready to go. There's no doubt. We just don't want to give her up right yet. Amen. So let's pray that they'll figure out what's going on. And let's pray that God will, will heal her and allow her to, to get back home and enjoy a little more time. Amen. And, Kirk, I tell you, you just, you just pray and dismiss us as you want to, brother. Okay, but do, do that. Pray this week for Miss Kathy. All right? Let's bow our heads together. Uh, Father, Lord, you, you are wonderful. Lord, you're amazing. And Father, you're worthy of every ounce of our being. And Father, you knew us before we were ever known by anyone. And Father, you loved us and you cared for us. And Father, we know that care and that love is pointed directly to each of our hearts. But Lord, today specifically, Lord, we know you have your hand and your heart pointed right toward Miss Kathy. Father, I've, I've thanked you so many times for for her and for Doyle, and, and Father, they're just like a, another set of parents to me, Lord, godly parents that have taken an interest not only in my life, but in so many. And so, Father, I just, uh, I come before you, Lord, just asking, Lord, for your, your touch and whatever that looks like. Lord, the touch that's upon Doyle that gives him that uh, reminder, Lord, that he never seems to forget, Lord, but that you're, you've got them both just nestled in your embrace. And so, Father, I pray that today specifically, Lord, you'll begin a touch in, in Kathy's life. Lord, you'll begin to work in those doctors and the ones that are, that are running the test and all the different things. Lord, they'll begin just to have an insight into what may be those things that she needs. But, Father, we know that... <laughs> Before they know anything, Lord, you already have a plan. So let us rest in that, knowing that whatever those days may be ahead that we have, that 
her presence here in this earth will be, Lord, there'll be great days. Let us not ever let one go by in any of our lives, Lord, that we take for granted. And Father, keep you in our sights. What a great reminder today, Lord. We don't want to give you our leftovers. Father, we want to give you our best. And I'm thankful for Doyle and for Kathy, Lord. They've given you their best for so many years. And God, I thank you for them. I ask your blessings upon their family, their home, and their lives. Father, bless this church. Lord, we seek you. Lord, we seek just having that great awakening within this body. Lord, that we can just enjoy the excitement of serving you and you alone because you're worthy. Father, we ask your blessings upon this place. As we leave this place, Lord, to help us to share you with others. We'll give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.